This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 8.13, you're tuned in to WGNS on this Monday morning, today, July 26th, and with us in studio, we have guests from the Rutherford County School System, and this morning, we do have Rutherford County School Director, Bill Spurlock, and also County School Communications Director, James Evans, and Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction, Dr. Jimmy Sullivan. How are all of y'all doing this morning? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah. yeah, doing great. So I guess starting off the show this morning, let's dive into the whole COVID thing because I know that totally changed last school year. Mm -hmm. What's it looking like for when kids start in just, well, a matter of days, really? Yeah, what we've done is uh, we obviously will be following some guidelines. However, masks will be optional for both our staff and our students. Uh, We will maintain social distancing as best as possible. Uh, we will also be providing all cleaning uh, supplies that's need, uh, that our teachers and our staff need. Uh, this would include uh, any PPEs that are requested. Uh, we are going to make sure that uh, if there is any issues in our school, we're going to address them very quickly. Uh, you know, if it's a, a contact tracing that we're talking about, we have been working with our state and local health departments and using this information in order to make sound decisions uh, at the same time making sure we're not putting students out of our classrooms that not necessarily have to go out. Now, last school year, I guess towards the middle of it, whenever the pandemic was at one of its biggest points, I think there was a problem with a lot of places getting cleaning supplies. Was that an issue for the county schools? It was not. We were very fortunate that, uh, that we had stocked, made a stock, uh, made a uh, effort to stockpile a lot of these uh, materials that we needed and all these cleaning supplies. So we had those available. Uh, we continued through this summer. In fact, uh, during our summer school uh, programs that we ha- we had, we also uh, you know used that information that we. Uh, or supplies that we had uh, to take care of any issue that we may uh, had to come up. Dr. Bill Spurlock with the Rutherford County Schools, the director of the schools. So summer school, as that was taking place, did the kids have to wear masks all throughout the summer? You know, that was optional both, uh, once again, that was optional both for our staff and our students. And, and quite frankly, there was a lot that did choose to wear it. And there was a lot that uh, obviously did not choose to wear it. We had very little issues in summer school. We were very excited about that. And I can uh, tip my hat to our instructional department and, and, and the guys uh, sitting to my right is obviously was a big part of that. And, and if it'd be a good idea to, to talk a little bit about how quickly they were able to provide this accelerated learning and how effective it was. Yeah, it looked like school systems all over the country had to really change their direction in a lot of ways and it was really overnight. So how did all that come about and and how did it go for the county it did um thank you for having us this summer was a a great experience we had almost 7,000 students who participated in summer programming just to put that into perspective that would make us a top 20 school district in enrollment what we did in the summer for the state of tennessee just based on what we did in the summer and summer school in the past has never been like this before absolutely not i as Mr. Sprock said, our instruction department uh, really did an amazing job making sure the activities were planned for our teachers and our teachers were able to focus on their students and really bring, with all of the angst last year with COVID and instruction, they were really to bring back some of that joy that 
is what education is known for is having joy in our kids and that was the best part of the summer seeing seven thousand kids back in person learning with their teachers and having fun and with the summer school program the teachers who decided to come in and teach throughout their summer break they weren't asked to do this. This is something that they decided on their own. Hey, I'm going to dedicate my summer to teaching students. Absolutely. And we had more teachers sign up than we had spots for. So that's a credit to the educators we have in this county. And of course, our educators got paid for doing this. So it was good for them as well. Correct. Now, what about the new Delta variant of COVID? Is that something that you know, school systems like Rutherford County, are, are, are they fearing that? Are you fearing that being an issue? You know, I don't, I don't know if fear is the uh, operative word. We are aware uh, and we will stay aware. You know, one of our things that we currently do is we track the data, uh, obviously in the county, but more particularly in our schools. And, and that pre is predicated on what we will do in terms of additional guidelines or perhaps what we will back off of in terms of if the data trends more positively. It's a lot of information to follow. And I know in some larger school districts in states like New York, California, they have a dedicated person to just work with the CDC, the health department, just to keep everything up to date. What does that look like here in Rutherford County? Well, we actually have our, uh, you know, our lead uh, uh, person over our nurses is constantly working with our uh, our local and state health department, but also Mr. Evans here. Uh, I'll, let, I'll throw it over to him, let him tell you how what he does with the data. James Evans, the uh, communications director. So one thing we wanted to do last year was the state had its own dashboard, but we wanted to make sure ours was very local so that people understood how COVID was affecting our school district and our county. And so we created our own dashboard on the website. And so my role was to work with our health services department uh, and monitor the reports coming out of the state and keep our dashboard open or updated weekly with our local numbers so parents knew, hey, at this school there's this many people who have had a case reported or there's been uh, the spread rate is this in the county, whatever. So we're going to continue doing that this year uh, just so that people have an, an accurate source to go to. And at the start of COVID, there were schools that were closing down for one week, two weeks, three weeks at a time while I guess teachers and students fought off COVID if they'd been recently diagnosed with it. You know, one of our biggest issues last year, and, and we did have issues with COVID, one of the, the uh, major uh, obstacles that we had to get through was contact tracing. You know, there were some very stringent guidelines in terms of contact tracing. In other words, when a staff member or a student was in contact with a uh, known uh, or confirmed, excuse me, uh, positive case or a probable case that has been uh, identified through the state or local health department, uh, that individual, if they were six feet or less within a time, a cumulative time of 15 minutes, had to go what we call quarantine. Now, that also impact our staff tremendously. In fact, 82% of our staff at one time or another during the, this past year had to go out on quarantine. Now, what that does is that, that makes it very challenging to staff our schools. So a lot of times, and in fact, I will go on a limb and tell you about 80% of the times in which we closed a school down to, to all distance learning was due to the fact of staffing. Uh, we could not staff adequately. So how did you go about doing the, the, the tracing to figure out who had been in contact with somebody with COVID who hadn't? Because that, that's pretty tough to do. It is very tough to do. You know, one of the things we required at the beginning is, is to uh, seating charts. 
you know, making sure you uh, are maintaining your seating charts and going back. In fact, I'll be honest with you, our administrators did a fabulous job. Uh, this is not something they're trained to do. They're not, uh, they don't have medical degrees, at least most of them don't. And, uh, you know, one of the things they had to do was take the guidance from the local health department and follow through with the requirements that the health department was putting on them. Now, I will say this, you know, uh, that's, that's a strain on them. You know, their, their job is to provide educational opportunities uh, for our students, and, it, and it's kind of challenging to them. But we understood that in order to provide a safe environment for students to learn, we, we had to carry out those, uh, those uh, extra duties. We're talking about the Rutherford County School System this morning and talking a little bit about COVID, how it impacted the schools over the past school year and, of course, the upcoming school year, which is right around the corner. Now, one of the things you mentioned was how hard it was to keep the staff on hand during the pandemic. And that leads me to the other question. During the pandemic, so many teachers who've been teaching for years in the traditional classroom all of a sudden had to change their teaching style and do it online to a big extent. And I think it led to a lot of teachers retiring, maybe retiring early. So how much staff or how many teachers did you lose throughout the COVID pandemic? Yeah, we didn't lose. We were very blessed that we didn't lose as many, but however, we did lose some. And I think we left, uh, lost some that were perhaps over, uh, near that retirement age that were probably uh, uh, teetering on whether or not they were going to do that or not. And it was a tremendous job that they had to take on. But I will say this, uh, and I'll let Dr. Sullivan speak on this a little bit also, but along the way, we listened and, and there were some modifications made. So I'll turn it over to Dr. Sullivan on that. Yeah, part of that, I think the biggest challenge is, is educators went from using technology as a way to help teaching to the way that kids had to access um, their instruction and their teaching. And that was a huge shift just in mentality almost overnight uh, for our teachers and especially for even our instruction department, figuring how to lead instruction, not just in a in-person environment. Uh, this year, that's not necessarily an option for us. The state has removed that distance learning option, if you will, unless someone's enrolled in a virtual school. However, I know there are things that we learned last year, especially around communicating with our kids uh, if they're absent or just uh, need some extra help that are going to continue through. So there were some good lessons we learned instructionally last year as well. And there were some teachers who are in the county school system who, you know, they, they started their career on a chalkboard. And now, all of a sudden, they're being told, You've got to communicate online. You have to email the parents this or that, whatever the information is. They're doing Zoom classes even. How big of an obstacle was that for some of the educators who had been there for years and this was their first time to do Zoom teaching? I think it was an obstacle for everyone, regardless of their experience, uh, even for students who were or teachers who were in their first through fifth years. You know, that's not anything that they were trained necessarily how to do. But uh, the educators, our teachers across, that's what makes our system and our district special is the talent that we have. And they, they roasted the occasion and continue to do so each and every day. Meanwhile, in the business community, we saw some businesses shut down. And some of those businesses, unfortunately, they're permanently closed because of how bad COVID hit them. But at the same time, were you able to hire some let's say business leaders in the community to be teachers because you have a special program for that and that is to make sure somebody earns their teaching license and teaches for the schools. 
We're always looking for those that want to go into the uh, educational field, and we did get some. I would uh, be uh, remiss if I didn't tell you that we still need others. Uh, it's always a challenge when you're growing. We were one of the few uh, school systems in the state of Tennessee. You know, the, the state of Tennessee came out on the way we would be funded, and we and they knew that, that we would lose, and I say we, as, as a public education in the state of Tennessee, perhaps would lose some students during this time. And it did occur, but we were one of about 15 school systems uh, that actually uh, were held, uh, you know, we weren't held harmless because we did not lose students. So that was uh, kudos to our staff and, and our teachers and administrators out in our schools. You know, you talk about, you know, some of the things that we learned over COVID. There are a lot of things that I think was very effective and mainly when we're talking about problem solving. You know, it's very difficult uh, for the central office. It's not our, uh, you know, it, it's not, uh, we're not, we do not have the ability to make those quick decisions that are in the classroom. But our administrators, our teachers, and our staff rose to those occasions, and they learned along the way. There were many great things that we've learned that we would like to carry over into this next school year. However, there is one term that we want to get out of our vocabulary, and that's called quarantine and we would prefer not to do that so we're going to refer to it like uh, dr sullivan said that the state of tennessee will not allow us to uh, you know teach anything but in a virtual school so we will if and, and we're crossing our fingers but we're also being uh, open and understanding that we can still have issues so we will be offering what we call virtual opportunities for our students and and the quicker that we can get them back in our schools where they're, where they're seated in their classrooms. And quite frankly, it's not just about the teachers, it's about their peers. You know, in a classroom uh, setting, instruction takes place, but a lot of learning is from peer to peer. So we understand and we are excited about coming back into school and we want to provide that safe environment because we understand that students on the whole, as a whole, and there's always exceptions, learn better when they are in person. Again, we're talking about the Rutherford County Schools this morning and in studio we have Schools Director Bill Spurlock and also Communications Director James Evans and Curriculum and Instruction uh, Superintendent, Assistant Superintendent Dr. Jimmy Sullivan. And throughout the school year while you know we had some weeks, some months where you had huge numbers of students who were out and then some weeks you had a huge number of teachers who were out because of COVID. Uh, but throughout this whole process, what was the number one thing that you think the schools learned or how they're going to grow from COVID? What was the number one thing that was learned, I guess? I think, as Mr. Spurlock mentioned, the problem solving. Um, at any point last year, we started off in August, September with around 23,000 students who were distance learning at home. Uh, we, by the end of the year of April, were down to about 12,300. So that fluctuation of students, whether they were in-person, traditional distance learning, continuously having to do what was best for our students in that ever-changing environment, that was amazing to watch, just the, the skill set of our educators, administrators, and, and our students and parents as well having to adapt to that. So this upcoming school year, and, and school starts, what, August 6th, first half day or two hours? Yeah, a week from Friday is the first two-hour day, and then that next Monday, two weeks from today, is the first full day. And what does the student population look like at this point as far as a, a number of students? Yeah, we're, we're on um, we're on target to grow. I mean, I, that's we're, we're, of course, that's not 
un- unusual for us. Uh, we're growing. Uh, you know, getting back to uh, how we're going to make this work. Uh, one of the things that we will do, like I said, we'll do the social distancing as best as possible. We'll do the cleaning, obviously. Uh, we will address any issue that comes up. And what we want to do is we want to make sure, you know, one of the issues that we ran into in, in previously is when a group of students uh, may had to leave because of being in that six feet or closer over 15 minutes, would they would leave and it would be somewhere close to 14 days. We're going to narrow that thing down with the guidance that we're getting and, and try to get them back when they're ready to come back. And then during, that, uh, during the interim, we're going to provide some virtual options from our virtual school. And, uh, you know, we're excited. Uh, quite frankly, we want to, we're not, we're cautiously optimistic. And, and I think uh, optimistic is a, is a term I think everyone is uh, using because we want to go back to some normalcy as much as possible. We're going to take a short break right now. The time is 8.30. We'll check on the weather, then we'll come right back and we'll talk more about the Rutherford County school system. Time right now, 8.30. You're tuned to WGNS, and we appreciate you tuning in this morning. This is Chip Walters, and you're listening to Rutherford County's Blue Raider Station. Yeah, we got them. MTSU Sports on WGNS AM, FM, online. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you're starting a home studio, you need to come to Music World and Drummer's Den. We also have interface for home recording, podcast. We have USB microphones, all the equipment you need for home recording or podcast. We are your local music store. You need to come see us. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military, here is today's Salute to Veterans. James Deck, better known as J.D., flew a C-130 in Vietnam. We carried the first 25 that had a chance to live that were hurt the worst. One of them passed away on the way over there. We'd go two months in country, but we're stationed in the Philippines. Then we'd come home two months, two months, two months. And in the middle of one of the two months, we had the Santa Domingo crisis. People don't even know we had a Santa Domingo crisis. And it was one of the biggest airlifts ever. And radio silence all the way down there. We're going to save the people in Santa Domingo. And half of us had paratroopers and half of us had ground troops. And in the middle of the ocean, they said everybody with paratroopers moved back. So we went in and air-landed with the walking troops, and the first airplane popped a hood. pilot got up there, and he became the tower and directed traffic until the Army could go take over the tower. Then we did that for like 10 days. We couldn't tell anybody where we were. Uglier than Vietnam in many cases. Weren't getting shot at so much, but uh, we weren't getting any sleep. One of the times they sent us out and said, go to such and such a frequency, and they wouldn't talk to us. We tried to get back. They wouldn't talk to us. took us forever to figure out what happened. They launched us right through the middle of a Canaveral launch. No airliners could come in where we were, and so it was quite an experience. 
This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615 930 A whole house air purifier. 615 930 We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms at times this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions high in the low 90s. We'll have winds out of the northwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 74. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County but will always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. I'm Ken Coleman. Join me here on News Radio WGNS weekdays live at noon as we answer your questions about your calling, passion, and talent to maximize your potential. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Right now that time, 834, we're talking about the Rutherford County school system this morning. We have school director Bill Spurlock in studio and also communication director James Evans and assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction, Dr. Jimmy Sullivan. And uh, man, your, your title is the longest. You win on that one. Yeah, go me. <laughs> <laughs> so also in the news, we've heard a, a lot about school growth. And I know you just mentioned that, you know, county schools are set to again increase the student population so that said we have a new school that's opening we have well the need for more land for more schools as well so what are we looking like on future growth and future construction uh, you know I think uh, our biggest need at this point in time is in the uh, western end northwestern end of our county uh, you know it's just the density in that in those areas are tremendous we're talking about the Stewart's Creek area uh, we're talking about the Blackman area, but you know, everywhere in our county, but there's just more, there's more need there. Uh, there's more uh, challenges in terms of everyone wants to come there in the building. I mean, uh, the, uh, it's, it's becoming very, very uh, a, a great place to live in Tennessee and it's more specifically in middle Tennessee and uh, more directly to Rutherford County. So we're you know, I always say that, that there's two things about Rutherford County that makes it great, and that is everybody wants to live here and in the schools that we have. Uh, I think that is a part of it, and uh, we want to uphold that. Now, what we're looking for currently is land down in the northwest end of the county. We're looking for perhaps maybe a uh, three-school complex uh, of land or perhaps maybe, uh, you know, just a single um, you know, a, a parcel of land that we could put either a high school or a middle school on. So what would be the ideal road for the school to be located on? You know, obviously a road that has that's good and wide and, you know, those kind of things. Unfortunately, when you're talking about the county, you're not talking about a city where the infrastructure may be a little bit more 
positive or more advantageous. However, uh, you know, we we have to look for areas in which the land is available and, and also that it's, it's, uh, it, it can provide uh, what we need in terms of, uh, of how many schools we build and also just because of the land in itself. It may not have the quality of land uh, to, to build a drip, what we call a drip system there uh, if, because it may not be close to a sewer. And, and all those things have uh, come in together as we make those decisions. So Highway 96, the Blackman area, Shores Road, all of those areas are, well, those are the key areas where you're going to need land. Absolutely. And we have actually looked for land in those areas. Some turned up that it wasn't advantageous, uh, and to, the property wasn't, but some perhaps are out there that uh, could come up that we could use. And we have Plainview Elementary that is opening up, and this will be the first time for that school to open come August. Are there other schools that are going to be, you know, built with, I guess, during this upcoming school year and then open the following school year? Uh, you know, right now, if uh, we need uh, property in the, uh, like, I, I don't want to be a broken record, but in the Northwest End for obviously a middle and a high school, we need property there. Uh, we are accumulating a lot of growth there. Uh, there are some areas in Stewart's Creek, for example, uh, the middle school uh, and the high school are both experiencing, and the elementary school experiencing uh, tremendous growth. And we are actually gonna be placing a portable down at the elementary school this year uh, for the first time since we've opened that uh, school. So we're, we're in need of land. Uh, and uh, if, if we were looking at our building program, that would be the next area where we would build. Now, does the county school system still own land in the Walter Hill area? We do own land there, and uh, obviously we're seeing growth out there. And, uh, you know, we own some land off of uh, uh, 231 North out there, and we're seeing growth out there. Uh, that could be something that we'd be looking at in the next couple of years. Uh, but right now, I mean, we're, if we started tomorrow, it wouldn't be too soon for the northern end of the county. Is the Las Casas area growing anywhere close to how Blackman is growing, South Church Street is growing? Because those areas just seem to be growing a whole lot faster. Uh, not at all. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Blackman area, if you look at your density on a map, uh, that's where, you know, and obviously for reasons, we know it's the infrastructure there. Uh, you know, you have 840, you have the close proximity connecting to 24 and 40. So anytime that you have those things, a confluence of those things, you're going to have people wanting to come and relocate there. We're going to open the phone line, 615-893-1450. We'll try to fit in a few calls. Again, 615-893-1450. And we'll go ahead and take this call that's been on hold. Good morning. You're on WGNS. Good morning. I didn't mind being on hold. I enjoyed listening to the conversation. But my question is, when y'all are building these schools, why can't y'all build them for, like, uh, next year three, four, maybe five years down the line, down the road of the growth of the county, you know, and I understand that it costs a lot of money to build these schools. I understand that. But you think about when you're building these schools, the growth of, the, you're building these schools for the growth of the children today. You're not building them for tomorrow because I grew up in this county and you drive around and the county and the Rutherford County and the city of Murfreesboro, it's not 
the county that I grew up in because they're taking cattle farms and building houses on them and everything. The county's building out of its leaps and bounds. And when y'all build schools, you need to build them for maybe three years down the road. If you can't go five, build them three years down the road. And then, then that way you're not spending as much money in the long run building these schools because when you build a school and you're out of capacity, then you're going to have to go somewhere else and build another school. Thank you for well, calling this true. morning. Yeah, let me respond to that. We're, we're almost there of what she's re requesting. You know, uh, since I came on board along with our uh, engineering of uh, engineering of uh, school construction what we're doing now with the new schools that we build we're, we're extending the footprint in other words we're putting roughing in the plumbing we're, we're putting the pad so that if we have to come back in a couple of years and add maybe 10 to 20 additional classrooms we have that already taken care of uh, that's something we didn't do in, in the past, and I will tip my hat to uh, Mr. Trey Lee. He's, he's our Assistant Superintendent of, of Engineering and Construction. This is something that we talked about, he and I, and I agreed, and, and this will help us somewhat. You know, this will, will help us somewhat. I, I guess when you look at some of the uh, older schools like Oakland, Riverdale, Central, they're somewhat locked into place. There's no, really no area for growth on those campuses, but on other campuses like Blackman is there room to expand there again uh, there are you know we've we've done this at Blackman actually at Blackman middle one of the things with Blackman uh, and any any school that we build when we build a school uh, you know obviously the the County Commission has to fund it the, the taxpayers fund it through uh, property tax we we build that school and and much of the time we build it out in the uh you know for example when when blackman high school opened in 2000 it was in the middle of nowhere uh we had to draw zone lines in order to 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 get students in we had to draw zone lines to take extract kids out of the dense areas over to blackman now what's happening in the blackman zone is is more and more we're contracting those zones and by that I mean, uh, you know, it's not we're not going very far from 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 the radius around the school because of the, the density of the of the housing. Uh, you know, that's something that we can't predict and project. Uh, we do know, like for example, like you mentioned in the Oakland and Riverdale zones, you know, they are more stable. But uh, you know, as we see the county continue to push out, you know. Quite frankly, there is only only one area that really we're not seeing a lot of growth in, and that's the Kittrell area, uh, to towards the uh, towards Cannon County. We're not seeing that. However, who knows what that's going to be like in in ten years? Again, we're talking about the Rutherford County Schools this morning, and you can call in at 615-893-1450. We have a call on hold, but before we get to that. I wanted to bring up the Stop It app because that's something fairly new that students are not real familiar with yet. Teachers, I'm sure they're learning it, and parents may not even know about the Stop It app. So what is the Stop It app? So we launched that a couple of years ago, and our safety director, David Krim, is the one that oversees it. I think that it is actually more well-known than you may think. Um, the schools all have posters up. We put out information to parents, but it allows students and parents to report anything 
that they think they need to report, whether it's their own child's having issues and they, they don't feel comfortable uh, speaking to a counselor. Maybe you're, you're noticing a change in your child and uh, you're worried about them maybe harming themselves and you need the assistance. You can use the Stop It app to reach out and we can get you in touch with, we can connect you with resources for mental health, for example. Uh, also, of course, your more traditional things. If uh, if someone's concerned about a fight that's going to happen at school, they can report all those kinds of things through that app uh, anonymously if they want to, and it, and it comes to all the administrators of that building uh, so they can intervene. So with this app, I guess teachers also are being taught that they too can report information through the app? Yeah, anyone can use it, a staff member, a parent, or a student. And have you gotten any, I guess, messages yet? Oh, yeah, I, they've been using it, like I said, for a couple of years. I don't have statistics on how often we receive it, but it's it's being used, absolutely. Interesting. And for students to download this, for parents to download this, do they just go to the iTunes store, the Google Play store, and find Absolutely. It? And there's a code that's on the posters at the school because you have to have a code that lets them know what school district you're with. Uh, it's on those posters at school. Uh, we don't put those out publicly because we want to make sure that it stays, you know, our school system and not somewhere in California or wherever. But they can get that information at the school. And it's called the Stop It app. Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and take another phone call. Good morning. You're on WGNS. Thank you for holding. Good morning. Good morning. I'll tell you all what. You know what? Man, I was coming to a town called Mothersboro, and I seen a bunch of things about 20 miles down the road. They were on four. They had four legs and they had some backpacks on the back. When I got up close to them, there were cows, and they were leaving Mothersboro. What in the world is going on in this town? I told you all on the radio, I warned you all, where are we going to live at? We are humans, now cows are leaving. What, what, what is, where is, the, is the same thing as a stopping point when, it's, when it comes to growth, you all? You all building on top of my building. You're building on top of the... What, is everybody satisfied with the growth? Have you all been to New York or Atlanta in the last 10 years? Or anybody? Is it a stopping point anywhere? Well, thank you for calling. Let's find out. You all have a wonderful day. You too. Well, I'd have to agree with him there. Of the, uh, you know, the good thing about Murfreesboro and Rutherford County is everybody wants to come here, and that's the bad thing about Murfreesboro and Rutherford County. Everybody wants to come here. You know, growth, we can't control it. I think we all know that. Um, uh, I think we got to manage it. So what happens once we hit, I don't know, a, a plateau with our population or – we see a big change in the uh, the aging of the population, and we come to a time where there's less kids in our county, and, and you know that does happen every however many years. Uh, you do know, you know when that's going to be? If you uh, do, no look, please, yeah. please let us know. Nostradamus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I will say, you know, we've we've looked at other uh, systems that are as old as us, and obviously, right now, for example. Uh, Hamilton County is, as far as the school district, is smaller than us, uh, and Knox is larger. Obviously, Davidson County is larger. Uh, Shelby County is larger. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things I've read, and, and I think it's to uh, see it to be true, that by 2026 we were surpass Hamilton County in population uh, in Rutherford County, and by 20, uh, 20, uh, 2040, Knox County. Now, I uh, the thing about it is, if you look at the state of Tennessee, there are a, a certain amount of counties, and some of them I've just mentioned, that are actually growing in terms of student population. Uh, and then the rest, which is the majority, are losing kids. So it's kind of, I think we can all figure this out, it's like a magnet. 
uh, people are migrating to where the jobs, where the opportunities are, where their uh, infrastructure is better. Uh, and I said, you hear, I said better, uh, not good, but better. And, uh, and that's what's going to take place, I think, perhaps throughout the next century. We're going to see a, a, a contraction of our population in the state of Tennessee. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to go back to when uh, Tennessee didn't have but about less than 3 million uh, in, in population. Uh, and now, uh, I think the latest count is 6.9 or 6.8, somewhere in that. Uh, you know, it's going to continue to grow. And we don't have the U.S. Census numbers from the most recent census yet. They were supposed to be out in April. Of mm -hmm. course, COVID changed all that. Absolutely. But what do these census numbers mean to the county school system? Because if we see a much larger population, that usually equals more funding from the federal level and maybe even from the state level. Well, I'd like to say it does. Uh, it doesn't actually. The state uh, uh, funding is not based on uh, in terms of uh, enrollment numbers it, uh, and stuff. It's based on the ability to the local to to help fund pay, uh, the the paying of uh, a school system uh, uh, operations. So my point being is a lot of the growth that we're seeing now, uh, I don't see it ending anytime soon. In fact, it'll probably get even more, uh, you know, more intense over the next 10 years. You know, I was reading about, I don't know, just the different news releases that the county schools put out and everything, and I came across the ESSER 3.0 funds, E-S-S-E-R. Mm -hmm. what, what is that? That's federal money that is used to support schools during the pandemic and, and to address things like uh, for example, learning loss. We don't call it learning loss. Dr. Uh, Sullivan, uh, in the very beginning, said we're going to call it accelerated learning. And I would agree. That's a positive thing. And, and we're seeing that. Uh, it also addresses some uh, the safety in our schools in terms of making sure that we have quality air, uh, the roofs are, are doing well, uh, you know, all that thing in order to, to provide safety in our schools to prevent any uh, COVID issues. It also allows us to do some things that perhaps people don't think about social emotional learning for our kids. You know, uh, they've been out of school. Some of them have been out of school for a pretty long time. Some of them were out all last year and were only online. Uh, you know, we understand that there has to be some interventions in place to assist our students as they come back to us and quite frankly, to assist some of our staff. Government offices all over the country saw increased funding in certain areas because of COVID-19. And the county schools, they saw funding as well come from, I, I, well, really, I guess it comes out and it's supposed to go to certain areas of the school district. But what are some of those areas where you received additional funding? Yeah, well, like I said, we, we, we deal with learning loss. You know, obviously we had to pay those teachers. And a new, this, um, a, yeah. a new uh, position was right. created with this. That's absolutely right. We also are going to be replacing some roofs that need to, uh, sorely need to be replaced. Uh, we're also going to be providing uh, other opportunities for the next couple of years for, for summer school. Uh, you know, this is this is a, a undertake a large undertaking. I will point out, though, in federal funds, it is the most uh, stringent, or in other words, I'm talking about more accountability in terms of making sure what we are requesting meets the guidelines of the, of the federal government in terms of addressing uh, this uh, uh, COVID issue. You know, I think there's a lot of fears out there. Uh, people asking. 
well, where is all this federal money coming from and why is so much being dispersed all over the country and what's going to happen a few years down the road? Are they going to run out of money, funding? You know, with us, you know, we have used our federal money uh, judiciously. Uh, we do not create many positions, additional positions, because we know when the money runs out, that means the local and the state have to help us pick it up. So we understand with our growth, we understand if we are it's a viable option. We may build one position in, but we're not going to go out on a limb. You know, when you invest in people, you understand that's a recurring thing. So we we're very very cognizant of that fact. Uh, but we we do have some a few positions that we've created with this. But we understand that with our growth we will be able to cover that salary and, and benefits when that position goes away under the federal funding. We're talking about the Rutherford County Schools this morning and I wanted to go back to that title that uh, learning loss supervisor and, and, and talk more about that. We only have about seven minutes left but tell us more about that learning loss. Yeah I'd be happy to. So when we go back and think of our students who have been in and out of education really since, or traditional education since March of 2020, much of the federal funds you were mentioned were sent to, to equally uh, across the states to help school districts reopen. Of course, we've been reopened the entire time. And so a lot of that funding then goes to supporting our students in multiple areas. One thing the Tennessee Department of Education has, has released a lot of information about or extended learning or learning loss. And that takes the account of summer programs, but also after school tutoring, um, different opportunities during your breaks. Uh, you have those options. And then this is also supposed to continue through 2024. And so when we are looking at learning loss, it is not just this, this last year. It is trying to have someone who can be, as Mr. Sprock mentioned, to, to also talk about the federal guidelines we have to follow with federal funds for the next three years of not just summer school, but also after school activities, transportation, a myriad of things that you have with, with looking at that. There's so many different developmental stages that a, a child goes through, you know, from birth all the way up to 18 and, and a little beyond that, in fact. But how crucial is it, I guess, for them to readapt and learn how to re-socialize to a certain extent when they come back to school this upcoming school year. You're absolutely right. We are looking even at, a, at our high schools, our upperclassmen were freshmen maybe seven months in the last time that they were in a building. Our second graders may have finished seven months of school in kindergarten. Uh, and then we have in middle school, we have sixth graders who may have only had seven months and now they're, they're leading the school as eighth graders. So there's a lot of socialization, uh, even just with their peer group, school norms how do we how do we act in a school building that is completely on the forefront of how we have to have to operate in august and september the the human brain is is pretty fascinating in the different stages where it develops but yet you know one of the things that i've noticed really a whole lot kids were already leaning towards social media more so than adults ever before but they're doing so much texting now and you had classes some that were zoom video feeds and stuff how, how is this going to be different when they come back to school because so many kids don't know how to carry on a complete conversation and they probably got lost somewhere in the mix with covid with that yeah. you know 
Go you ahead. know, one of the things I'll follow up with Dr. Sullivan is we saw more of our elementary age kids were in person this year. So it's, it's primarily uh, middle and, and high school that had the larger numbers out. I think, you, you know, we will have those discussions uh, with our school counselors and uh, our, our, some of our social workers. We'll be working with those students, you know. I think that's part of it. That's where the social emotional learning comes in. You know, how, how do you work through frustration? Uh, how do you work through the anxiety? You know, there will be a lot of these things that we will have to deal with this year. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to know about until five, ten years down the road once the different age groups mm -hmm. start, you know, finishing college and getting real day-to-day -day jobs. We're going to see, I think, well, I don't know what we're going to see, but it's going to be different five or ten years from now. Okay. Agreed. We've been talking with the Rutherford County School System this morning, and as we close, is there any important information we need to close with? Yeah, a couple of things. So one thing, next Sunday we are celebrating the 50th Rutherford County School. We are doing the ribbon cutting for Plainview Elementary at 2 p.m. out there, big community celebration. And then also today, your parents are going to start receiving information from us about the guidelines for reopening. Uh, we've been working on that for the last week, uh, more than that really, but we've been refining it the last week with our principals, and we're releasing that to parents today. Principals are also putting out information about uh, recertifying your student for like, you know, birth certificates and proof of residence. All that parents should be receiving all that information. Many of them started last week, so just those final steps needed to get them into school. But we will definitely have our COVID procedures published for parents so that everyone's on the same page and and know that we will continue to monitor those as the school year progresses but again schools start back august 6th that's an abbreviated day right. and the first full day is what it's the two weeks from today august 9th okay so august 9th and right now everything looks like it's going to be fairly normal and reopening well, like mr spurlock said we are cautiously optimistic but we are intent on having a great school year and so that's how we're starting the school and how will parents be notified if sudden changes have to be made such as well we're going to quarantine or we're going to shut this school down for a day or two how are they going to be notified you know as we mentioned earlier we really had to flex our problem solving muscles last year and we learned a lot so we have learned the best way to communicate with parents is just directly we're going to be using our school messenger system emails all those things to keep parents up to date as soon as possible so it's important i guess for parents to make sure they have the right phone number on file with the schools right and they've gotten where they expect those kinds of communications so a lot of them know to have that stuff updated and if they don't get it they're really quick to let us know how can i get my number added or my email address added so uh, that's not usually an issue good uh we're pretty much out of time but is there any anything else uh, we're just, uh, like I said, we're looking forward to a good school year. We know that the students are and the parents, too, are ready to get back to some normalcy. We're already seeing signs of that with back-to-school bashes and just, you know, people are ready to get back to normal, and we're hoping to do so, but we plan to do so safely. Sounds good. Again, we've been talking about the Rutherford County Schools this morning with County Schools Director Bill Spurlock, Communications Director James Evans, and Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction Dr. Jimmy Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.